Eternal Entrepreneur, we believe faith comes by hearing, and so do business skills. You'll hear powerful stories and strategies to grow your business, directly from Christian leaders who have done it all before. Catch us on Mondays for lunch breaks, our bite-sized business series, and twice a month on Fridays for faith-inspiring interviews. Hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for the Eternal Entrepreneur Podcast. I am Pierce Brantley, along with my co-host, Joe Newton. And we could not be more excited to share our conversation with Jonathan Weald. Jonathan's business experience is extensive, from purchasing a failing music school and helping it cash flow in under a year, to receiving nearly $1 million in historic tax credits for a real estate project in Denver. His diverse talents make him an expert financial and business consultant. He is currently a partner in eight businesses, a managing partner of Unbridled Wealth, and leads the financial team for Upper Room, a church in Denver, Colorado. Jonathan, it is so awesome to have you here on The Eternal Entrepreneur. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Jonathan, we like to start off our interviews with a, a little bit of your, your origin story. How, how did you get into entrepreneurship and where along that journey did God start to intersect? Sure. And uh, I'll share a little, uh, give the caveat that I used to be <laughs> hesitant of sharing some of my original origin story because it was... <laughs> pre-being a citizen, I didn't want to get kicked out, but I'm a U.S. citizen now. But I would say that like entrepreneurship has always been in my blood. I, I feel like you hear this with other entrepreneurs, business owners too, like you're a kid and you buy a bag of candy and you sell them individually at school. And I did that whole bit. And I found out pretty early on that the margins are slim in those areas, but there was certain, I'd say herbs that uh, had greater margins when I was a young man. And I found a business model of selling those around my school. And I was actually only 12 years old when I started doing it. So I started early, made a little money, figured out inventory and protecting inventory and those kind of things. And so that, that was actually my origin story. When I became a Christian at, at 16 years old, it was actually something that I thought I had to lay down. Becoming a Christian, following Christ, it meant that evil, greedy part of me, the wanting to be a business owner and an entrepreneur, I had to sacrifice and I needed to be a pastor. So my origin into faith was actually the laying down of that business side of myself. I, I love that. One, that you were so ahead of the, the market when it came to certain herbs. And I, I know you living in Colorado now <laughs> has nothing to do to that, but it's a good full circle there. Talk to me a little bit. I, I, I want to ask you about mentors. T talk to me about some of those mentors that you've had over the years who helped you to, to process through, you have this great relationship with the Lord. Yeah. I, I know you as a man who walks in, in the prophetic and, and hearing God's voice. How did specific mentors start to help you get back to a place that you felt like you could walk in entrepreneurship and back in the marketplace with God? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question because it really was, it was mentors that, shifted that mindset in me, but it was actually in so 2008, I moved to South Carolina in just a small town as a ministry school called Morningstar. And it was actually, I read a book, I don't know if you're familiar with it, The Final Quest, Rick Joyner. And I was just so inspired by it that I was like, I want to come learn from this guy. So I moved to Fort Mill, South Carolina on my own, didn't know anybody in the state. I knew three people in the country at the time I was 19 years old. And that was really when it was like impacting me that, okay, if I'm going to serve God, I need to be a pastor. I need to be a preacher. I need to be a ministry until this one day, there's a guy called Lance Wall now who a lot of people that know him now would see him more in the 
political side and involved in the government mountain. He talked about the seven mountains, but back then, 2008, it was actually a very heavy focus on business. And so I remember this one day sitting in ministry school, I was manning the camera and Lance like moves around like crazy. So I'm just trying to keep up, follow him. And uh, he gives this analogy and it, it changed my life from there. And it was what we've taught in the church, in the Western church is that the, the business owner, the entrepreneur is in coach class and the pastors, the evangelists, the teacher, they're up in first class. And our role as business people is to sit in our seat, write the check, hand it down the aisle so the pastor can do the real work of the ministry. And he said, he's like, actually, I think it's completely backwards. He said, if anything, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle were uh, called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So he said, it's actually them empowering the business people, those in the marketplace in government, et cetera, to empower them, equip them to do the work of the ministry. And so I was, I remember sitting there, like just stopping following him because it was this aha moment of, does that mean I can serve God and be a business owner? And that was brand new information to me. So that, that was really the pivot. And I ended up working for living with traveling with Lance for the next three years after that, because I was, I was so impacted. I approached him, I pitched a business plan to him and he offered me a job. And so I, I was really mentored under his worldview kingdom mindset around impacting culture and business as a lay ministry person, but as a business owner. So did you stay then with within the ministry realm for a while? Or when you were with Lance, did you start your own businesses? Would you have considered you were still within that ministry world while you were with him? Or, or was it like, no, a direct, no, I'm in business now at that point? Yeah, it, it was a blend, honestly. So I'll tell you one of the, the prophetic words I got very early on in that time in 2008. And that was in the midst of a, a financial crisis. And I'm reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The Richest Man in Babylon, and just cutting my teeth on some of those, those great foundational books. And somebody gave me this picture of my left foot's business, my right foot's ministry. And on my walk, I'm always going to have both feet, but one foot will be ahead of the other. Sometimes they'll be together. And so I'd say that next season for me was because Lance, a lot of a lot of people don't realize Lance did a lot of business consulting as well. So we we traveled the world together and it would be like one day a church conference over here, and then next would be a business conference over here, and next would be business consulting over here. So it was really just a time for me to absorb, soak in, start overcoming that that mindset that does just try and pin us down as believers that like, hey, there's something inherently evil with corporations and business and really having that weeded out of me to say, no, what if we can actually have pure hearted business owners that are successful, that do thrive, but can impact the, not only the employees, but the, the region that they're in. So that was definitely a, a training season for me that I think still impacts how I do business today, almost 13 years on. I love that analogy of the, the two, two feet. I, I've never heard that before. And Obviously, it was from the Lord, so it's it's got to be good. Yeah. How have you learned and how did you start to navigate walking into situations where you're ministering within a market context and you're also doing the stuff? You're getting words. Did, did you deal with any of that, those thoughts that a lot of us deal with as far as, oh, well, I want to be professional. I don't want to lose opportunities. Did, did you deal with those kind of things? 
during that season? Yeah, I mean, to, to this day, I think it's the tricky navigation that we walk through as believers in a largely dominated secular environment. And also not feeling the pressure that like you have to have the Jesus bumper sticker on your business or the cross and your logo, those kind of things, because it, it does, it has impact on your influence and your arena. So this was one of the things that Lance told me during that time. He was like, we've got the great commission in Mark and Matthew, right? So we've got it to go and make or go preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples. And then you've got it in Matthew where it's go make disciples of nations, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And so he would call it the, the gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom, but maybe not the right exact two. But looking at this distinction of we've again said, okay, if you are in business and your goal is to share the gospel with your coworkers. And he said, what if there was an aspect of you being in the marketplace, you being in this sphere of influence and you were creating a culture that was conducive to evangelism rather than just evangelism. So what if you could covertly bring the kingdom by bringing what the kingdom manifests, provision, peace, uh, healing, emotional health, character, healthy marriages, healthy parenting, all of those kind of things. So uh, like a super practical example of that would be, we have a lot of the, the fruit of the spirit intertwined into our, our core values as a company but it's not with a Bible verse attached to it. It's, it's just now part of our company culture that people should abide by. Or the fact that we, we pay for 50% of counseling for every employee across every company because we value their emotional health. It's not just about what can they do for the bottom line of the company. It's we want them to be healthy in their marriages, healthy in their homes, healthy when it comes to addiction and substances, whatever that thing is. And so we, we really put our money where our mouth is in terms of believing for and cheering on people in their own just walk and journey in life. Jonathan, I love what you've highlighted there because when you think about uh, cause-oriented businesses are like really popular right now, it's starting with mission or something like that. And a lot of Christian business owners are confused because they're looking at all the things that the world is doing and they're thinking, I don't really understand how a kingdom oriented business is that much different from a cause oriented business, but you've really highlighted something super important. Cause oriented businesses are in the name of the brand. Ultimately, they magnify the brand, they lift up the brand, whatever that cause is. But what you've articulated is so important. When I do something in the name of Jesus, when I'm magnifying the name of Christ, that initial principle could be on either side on the cause side or the kingdom side, but what is yeah, it right. unto, right? What is it unto? And when it's unto Christ foundationally, there's a shift in how you approach people and how you approach process and how you approach everything within your business. And what I hear you saying is that there are so many business owners that are so close and that confusion, all they have to do is step onto the other side of the line, which is what are you unto? And all of a sudden, some of the good that you're already doing starts to magnify the name of Jesus. But what that means is that practically, that gospel message is seeing its way through every little nuance of your business and how you approach things. So I just think that's super powerful. I, I love it. Yeah. And I, it's one of those things I wish it was black and white. I think we, as especially a Western mindset, Western culture, like we just want things to find out, okay, this is how you do it if you're a Christian business owner. 
and a lot of it is the is the journey and belief and season of the the business owner of the person is this is i've got friends who are, who are business owners here and they're so bold in their faith they have company bible study and they start every uh, company meeting with prayer even though not everybody's believers and they've got some amazing testimonies out of it but to take that and say okay that's what all business owners should do would be that's actually not god's standard on what we should be doing because part of this walk of faith is listening to him following him but doing whatever we do in faith so whether you open up the the company meeting in prayer do it in faith or whether you are way more covert in your beliefs do it in faith and so that to me is the key that we're honoring and faithful to what God has called us to do in how we advance the kingdom throughout. That's really powerful because we don't, the Bible says the Christian goes from glory to glory, right? The, the potter is shaping the hand of the shape of the individual. In the West, we think we go from promotion to promotion. And as we get our promotion, then we'll give glory. But we don't do that. It's glory to glory. And if you think that your end goal is to be, a Lance Wall now, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror and going, man, I don't have 300,000 followers on Facebook and more consulting than I can handle, yeah. then you're going to judge yourself by promotion and not by the glory that you are being shaped from and you're giving unto. And that's just really good. You got to be like Peter, right? You got to get out of the boat. Peter had to get out of the boat before he saw all this other stuff in his life. There's steps you take in the walk of faith that lead you down the path. And the most important thing is just being willing to be shaped by the a potter's hand. So really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I was just thinking about, so I haven't mentioned Stan yet. Stan Bullis is the, he's the founder of Unbridled. He's uh, been my probably greatest, not probably definitely my greatest mentor within the realm of business in the marketplace and, and kingdom in that aspect. And we were listening to this a sermon's guy called Chris Ballatin out of Bethel, and he was talking about the parable of the talents and the miners. Have you guys heard this that that story at all? Man, it was it was so impactful. Like it just set off this spark inside of us. And this was how many years ago? Four years ago? Five years ago? And he gave this analogy of the parable of the talents and the miners are basically the same thing. The master comes and gives them either talents or miners, and for the guys with talents, it was based on ability. He comes back and says, what did you do? And the, the first one says, Lord, I made more talents. And he's like, well done, congrats. Have more stuff. And goes through the list of the story. And then the miners, they're all given the same amount. It's not based on your ability. It's just you're given a certain amount of miners to steward. And the, the huge difference, this was the thing that got us, was when the master came back, he says, Lord, your miners made more miners. It wasn't with the talents. He said, master, I made more talents and he got stuff. But this guy, he said, Lord, Lord, your miners made more miners. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a little, I'll make you faithful with a lot. Have charge of cities. And he gives them 10 cities to steward. And it was this like those moments where you hear something brand new for the first time that you've read a thousand times. And it was I wonder if there's a principle here that if we recognize whether it's our business, whether it's your salary, whether it's your house, your influence, whatever that thing is, that it, it's not even necessarily based on your ability. God will give everybody something, but it's our responsibility, our duty is to steward it, to hold it open-handed, recognize that it's not actually ours, 
but our job is to allow it to multiply. And if we will understand that, then maybe he'll give us influence of cities. And so for the businesses we've been running, especially around the unbridled group of companies, it's been a, we want to hold it open-handed loosely and just be faithful to steward what he has put in our realm of influence. And so whether that is over or covert at different times and seasons, it's we're just trying to be faithful to multiply what's in front of us. And we believe that if we do that, he'll give us not just influence in our company, but of regions, of cities. And that's really our focus and prayer. I love about that focus is what I see and what you're saying is uh, you're defaulting to the assumption that you have 10 talents and that you have something to steward. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't start from that perspective, you start from a perspective of lack. Lord, please give me a talent to steward. Lord, please give me the talent to steward. And you're constantly with a, a kind of a pauper mindset, which is just, God, give yeah. me something so that I can do something. You say, no, I actually have 10 of something here. Money is meant to multiply. The dream that God has given me is meant to multiply. And I'm going to start right. with that basis. And from that comes really good stuff. You can spend your entire business career operating from a position of lack, even if your business is growing. What you're right. doing is completely different. And I think that's really valuable. I thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, it's definitely much, much greater than money. <laughs> we know that conceptually. It's that Les Brown would be like, money's not going to buy you happiness, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. We pursue the, the physical manifestation of it first, but I think it's really about mindset. It's about wisdom. It's about pursuing those things much, much more than it's pursuing money. Jonathan, I, I know you have some specific testimonies on ways that y'all as a company specifically stepped out to one, steward what you felt like you were hearing from God, and then also in a great area of faith when it came to 2020 and all that happened there with, with your business. Can you share some of that? Sure, yeah. And I think this comes back to to the foundation of even how the Unbridled Company started. And I, I was grew up in 2015. And so it, it, we're actually coming up on our 20-year anniversary in September, which is pretty cool for Unbridled. And when it started, it was a when Stan was launching Unbridled Solutions, which is our, our corporate event company. We typically do, oh, I should say 2019, I think we did about $90 million in revenue. It's a sizable business. And... Uh, part of that business model and every company that we're a part of. If we're investing in, if we're a part of, if we're owners in a company, then uh, it has to follow this model. It's the 2020-60 model. And it was it started from, so if you, there's a couple of scriptures that had just jumped out to stand back in 2001 around starting this business. And it was initially Malachi. You know, it talks about, have you robbed God? How have you robbed him in the tithes and the offerings? It says, bring your tithe and your offering into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he was like, if ties 10%, then offerings probably 10%. So the first 20% of profits, he committed to go back to impact, to go to charities, to nonprofits, to anything that's going to produce impact on the human condition. So that's, we're pretty specific about that. We want to impact, and especially locally, we want to impact the, the city that our business is in. So for 20 years, every company has been giving 20% uh, back each year of the profits and that's our first fruits offering each year then the next 20 came from genesis 41 and this, this is where joseph is 
the, the Pharaoh has a dream and Joseph interprets it and says, Pharaoh, here's what it means. There's going to be seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And here's what you should do in the seven years of plenty, store up one fifth or 20% in storehouses. And then you'll have enough in the years of famine. So the next thing has been every year for 20 years or however old the companies are, we've, we had one, now we've got 25 companies. So we've been storing up one fifth profits in a storehouse within the company with the idea that it's going to sustain us during years of famine. And then the final 60% gets distributed to shareholders. So I, I already mentioned our, our biggest company, our main, the original one was in corporate events. So gathering, think of it, Chipotle has their event where they gather 5,000 managers from around the country at some convention center in Las Vegas. We do everything from the flights to the hotels, to the transportation, to branding, to writing scripts, to production, to lighting, you name it. It's a huge process and 450 events a year. And think March, 2020, COVID hits and overnight, those events disappear. We lost $40 million of revenue in a week. And so it's gut-wrenching. For Stan, I, I remember standing in our parking lot here at the office and it was that, what happens now? Is this the end? And there was a much greater confidence, A, because he'd been storing up all this cash for so long. So we knew, okay, we aren't in crisis. We're not trying to go raise money right away. We've got the storehouse. And the funny thing I thought about at the time is when that happened in Egypt, because of Joseph's plan, they actually gained territory during the famine. Their, their reach expanded during the famine instead of them being hungry, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. Then the next thing we did was, I, I'm, I'm going to forget where the verse is. I, I want to say it's Genesis 22, 20 or 22. And it talks about this a severe famine in the land. It's talking about Isaac. And just like 10 verses later, it says, and Isaac sowed seed, which what do most people do in, in famine? They eat their seed because there's no other food. And so that's not the time you go out, especially because there's no rain. So it's not going to grow anyway. But Isaac, he knew something different about economics. <laughs> I'll put it that way, of kingdom economics, of during famine, you sow seed. And it said, and in that year, he multiplied a hundredfold and he grew wealthy and grew wealthy until he became very wealthy. And I said to Stan, I was like, I think this is one of those times where it looks like there's a famine ahead. We're just shutting down. We have no idea whether this is going to last a month or a year or 10 years, but clearly something is wrong and it's not just going to rebound tomorrow. And so we started a, a COVID assistance fund. And so he and I both committed an amount of money is much greater than mine than that first day. And then we went around to our employees and our partners and said, hey, will you give some money? Because we actually, we didn't want the blessing just to be for us because we knew Isaac's principle. But your person who who's works in registration doesn't know the Lord, has no context for that. Sometimes it's just saying to them, hey, would you open up your hand a little bit and sow in generosity? And they don't, it doesn't have to be a faith thing for them, but it's going to set them free as well. And so anyway, we ended up raising and giving out over a quarter million dollars. I don't know the exact amount, maybe 300,000 during those early days of COVID to employees, to families, to friends, to other business owners. And the remarkable thing is as an event company in 2020, 
where our like biggest competitor had to let go of, I think, 85% of their employees. We, we had to let go of very few people, also were able to hire some of them within other unbridled companies. And after the PPP loan, we actually turned a small profit in 2020 during a pandemic. It makes no sense. I, if you had to ask me to explain how that worked, probably can tell you. That has got to be one of the coolest stories coming out of COVID, I think, that I've, I've heard. I think it's probably the top of the list at this point. That is truly amazing. What I love about that business, we're always talking about what it's our leading indicator, our lagging indicator of any yeah. situation. We have a project, we have a goal, and the leading is how do we know going into something, the lagging is after we finished with something. When we think about giving glory to God in our businesses, everybody wants to do it. And what happens if something goes well, what we give glory to God, we, we know that we are following his plan. We don't know how we are following his plan, but hey, it worked yeah. out. So great. Thank you, Lord. And if it doesn't, we know we default the platitudes like he closes the door or something like that. What I hear you saying is that scripture really is a leading indication of where to go. And if you're really dedicated to building your business, like any entrepreneur, you are studying the greats. You're stu of the past. You're studying how successful businesses are operating now. You're a student of your industry. We don't yeah. often think of scripture as being a way to advance our own business or to build it successfully. But what I see you all doing is defaulting to that. And then you have real practical outcomes. And I think that's really important to get. You're, you guys are living proof of it that... When you dedicate yourself to studying the word, when you lean into it, it's not just for you That's know right. Sunday school principles. Your business is going to really be transformed by it. And in that way, scripture really is a playbook. You can lean on it to make good decisions and your business yeah. is going to thrive. I love that you used the story of Joseph because what is that? His whole thing is like his whole calling was administration, working in government, and, and leading teams. And you're like, that has nothing to do with the church. Maybe it should. There's so much yeah, good stuff. In absolutely. It. It's good, man. It's really good. I'm about to do a lap around the office here. It's so getting pumped. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's, it being a playbook is such a great way to put it because it's not a book to, to create a get rich quick scheme. It's principles that he has given us that he's hidden in plain sight for us to learn and how to function both in character, but also strategic. He gave us Ecclesiastes. He gave us Proverbs. He gave us stories like Joseph, which can practically uh, be applied to our businesses, to our careers, to what we're doing in everyday life. Yes. It's so funny because the way I see you applying it and the, the outcomes from it, you all in that parking lot conversation, were talking about things that you'd already read in scripture that you already had a knowledge of. And what's yeah. so important about that is you had been a student and you'd been studying and you've been in the word before the situation came. I was reading this morning uh, about how lumber has gone back to basically its pre-spike levels. It hit that inflation point wow. and now it's basically just yeah. back where it was and the economy is basically resettled there. If you had known there was going to be a shortage in lumber because of all of this stuff and you were a student of the market, you would have invested back in March of you know 2020. But if you weren't a student 
at that time and you already knew how supply and demand worked, then you never would have been able to see, oh, I should go invest in that. The same thing is true yeah. with how we approach scripture. If we get into just the day in, day out of, I, it's the right thing to do is to do my devotions, then you're not going to be able to use it when the time comes. However, if we think of it as a strategy and actively lean forward to learn from it, when the time comes, the Holy Spirit's going to be able to breathe on where we've already chosen to be teachable and it's going to have a good yeah. impact in our lives. So I just, I, I love your story. Yeah, no, that's, it's a great point. And it's, I would say we've been so turned off and threatened by the prosperity gospel in the church that it's, we've, it's, it's almost scary to talk about these kind of things. And to me, the distinction is always, we're not, you know, us saying, Hey, we're going to sow seed wasn't a, investment. It wasn't saying, God, because we give money, you got to give us money back. God's not a slot machine or an investment. Let's leave that for Vegas. If you want to give money with a chance of getting a multiple return, but it was a seed of faith or saying, here's us putting our money where our faith is and saying, we trust you for your provision. And that's what I think Isaac was doing. He was saying, even though what I see with my eyes in the landscape, there is famine. I believe that you're capable of anything and you're able to provide for me, even when it appears that there's no provision available for me and him choosing to end. That often does come back in the form of wealth or success, but it, that's not what it's about. It's really a using the biblical principles. And to your point that it, it's not good enough that day. I'm like, okay, rattling through scripture. I'm sure that it says something about what to do when a pandemic hit. Then maybe second Chronicles 7, pray and humble myself. But having enough ingrained, uh, okay, I know a principle around when I have lack, when there's been theft in an area of my life, when there's a lack of provision in an area of my life, it's a time where I stop and say, Lord, I still try. David said once I was a... Uh, Young man, now I'm old and never in my life have I seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I see somebody that's begging for bread and I say, look, here's a principle. You can trust that God will provide even if it looks like there's a famine around you because he's not dictated by the confines of our natural structure of economics. And so what can you do to actively establish and show your faith? And for us, it just happened to look like a COVID assistance fund. I love hearing every time that you've talked about coming up with a verse or Stan remembering a verse. Almost every time it's been in the sense that you are just, I feel like the word stewardship articulates it more. Like it's definitely not the, you're naming it and claiming it like, oh, I see this. Therefore, yeah. God, give us this. Like in every action that y'all have taken, it's been, we're going to steward this promise or this principle that we're seeing in the word. And along with stewardship comes a sacrifice on your part. So for however many years, it, it sounds like each one of those business was sacrificing in a way 20% of their revenues to store up in wisdom. And I love too, that it, it appears that every time a promise it, it, it reminds me of when you read the Bible and in, in context of healing people and you read the verse and these things I do and greater things than these you shall do because I go unto the Father. And that and people in faith will be like, oh, maybe that means I could go pray for the, the sick. And, the, and they step out in faith 
And it's not a, if I do this, God will provide. It's a, in my best knowledge, I'm going to steward what I see is wisdom from the Lord, even if that means some sacrifice. Yeah. And and in the end, you've bore fruit because of that. But but I haven't heard you say at all, we're going to go do this thing to get a return. It was only, we're going to steward this promise to be faithful unto what we believe the Lord said. You talked earlier about those who the Lord in, in the parable gave authority over cities. And I know y'all specifically are, are pushing in to, to walk that out in, in real life and have authority and see transformation in a city. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah. Yeah. You're referring to Canyon city in, in, in Colorado. It was a, <laughs> it, it obviously felt like a bait and switch of the Lord on us, but it was a fun one. So I think you mentioned at some point, or maybe it's in my bio about tax credits. And we got into this kind of niche market and I, I feel like that's been our journey. So when I started at Unbridled, there was four companies. Now we're at 25. And it's just been this, this crazy journey of finding opportunities, adjacent opportunities, people to believe in and invest in, et cetera. And like you mentioned, I, I'm an owner in eight companies now. And that's, that's just happened in the last five years. That's only seven years ago, I moved to Denver to plant a church. I had to quit my job, didn't own any businesses. But anyway, so... So we were, we had this new business philosophy or strategy that was, we found out about historic tax credits. And I, I won't even go down that testimony route because that's another amazing story in and of itself, but we knew about the strategy. So this is probably 2018 and we were asking people, okay, if you find any historic buildings that are cheap to buy, expensive to renovate, we're interested because we know we can get tax credits back on the renovations. And so we, our first office, we got a million dollars of tax credits back. This one I'm standing in, we actually were just granted, yeah, almost just shy of another million. And so we, we got sent this listing for a hotel in Canyon City. And it was going to be a live auction. It was a has to sell that day. You have to sign up in advance. And Stan and I are at lunch. And he's, hey, have you checked out this listing? And I was like, no, I don't even know what Canyon City is. No, neither do I. So we're having lunch and we look, it's two hours away from Denver, an hour from Colorado Springs. We're like, that's interesting. Maybe we should check it out. So he gets up from lunch. He's all right, take care of the check. He gets up, gets in his car and just starts driving. It's two hours away. And there's a short window to be able to see the hotel before the auction, which was just a few days later. And so he comes back and he's like, man, this could be something. And he happened to be out of town. So he's like, all right, you've got a quarter million dollar budget. I want you to go down there and bid on the, the hotel. So I go down to Canyon City. I arrive early, go into this. It's on Main Street, super cool looking hotel, but just beat up. It's not open. It's been out of action for 10 years at that point. And I walk into the auction and they start, starts at a million dollars. I'm like, oh, never mind. Goes down to 500,000, down to 250. I'm like, oh, okay, this is getting interesting. No one's bidding all the way down to $10,000 before the first bid. And then it starts bidding back up. And so long story short, we get it for $88,000. I've got, I got a headphone in stands in California. I'm like, Stan, we own a hotel. You know, like what on earth just happened? So we thought it was a tax credit play. Stan's always dreamed of owning a hotel. We're in the hospitality and event industry. So we're driving down together the next week. And he, we find out Canyon City, we find out it's known for prisons. There's 13 prisons within the county. 
and the KKK in the 1920s. They not only were very dominant in Canyon City, they ran their newspaper and their bank out of the hotel. And so super dark history, everything. And every time we ask about Canyon City, people say, oh, yes, this prison town down in, you know, down south of the Springs. And so we're driving down and Stan has this thought go through his head. It was, uh, what would it look like to bring a culture that sets people free into a culture that locks people up? And he's, oh, this one, maybe this isn't actually about tax credits. So we go check out the hotel. We walk around town. We meet people. We have lunch. We're driving home. And I was like, hey, do you know what's the region? What's the county? What's the name of the county? Because I know there's something powerful in names in terms of purpose and calling. And we look it up and it's Fremont County. And I look up the definition and it said to set a man free from slavery. So it's that moment in the car where like, oh boy. (laughs) We're like, okay, loud and clear. This isn't about a hotel or making money or tax credits. This is about this region was called and destined to be a place that sets people free. And it became about prison town and the KKK. And so it just, to us, it became clear, wow, it it was actually on the Lord's heart to redeem the true identity of this region. And he, he used the hotel, the allure of being able to build this hotel and renovate to get us there and capture our attention. And so really the last Going on actually three years now, I think it was summer of 2018 since we bought it. We've bought seven different buildings down there. The Unbridled Group has bought seven buildings. We opened a restaurant two months ago on Main Street, which has been super cool. I'll tell you one of the really cool ones was we understand in wisdom that if you want to influence the city, you need to have the respect, the trust, the rapport of the city. So the county had a, a program for the arts in Canyon City in, a, in this amazing old post office building, super cool. And they were going out of business. They ran out of money, so they were just shutting down. So Stan approached the mayor of the city and said, hey, I'll do your deal. I'll buy the city from you at fair market value. I'll lease it back to you at cost, and you'll have all this cash to keep on going. And we'll even chip in to help pay for an employee to run your program for you. So sure enough, that's what we did. And so now that program, which was going to shut down, is now thriving and still going in the city, even through COVID. And of course, now we have favor with city officials. So it's been, it's just been a fun journey. It's, I'll tell you what, it's not been easy. It has been three years of plowing hard and rocky ground, but we are confident that God wants influence and impact that, that region. And we're just trying not to get in his way. Man, I love that testimony. I feel like we could do a whole episode just on the principles and the that one testimony right there. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I feel like hearing testimonies like that, I think I'm believing big. I think I'm believing for big things. And then you hear where God, I, I raise you what you're believing for. I, I raise you a city, a county. Yeah. transformation. It's man, God, you, you're, woo, talk about visionary. Jonathan, unfortunately today, we don't have time to, to go into that. We're nearing the end of our time, but at the end of every episode, we have five questions that we ask every guest. There are final five questions. So I'm going to jump into those. Okay. So question number one, what are your top three must-read books, not including the Bible? And these can be business, family, spiritual, cookbook, 
We've even had a, a sci-fi novel before. Okay. Oh gosh. All right. I'd say one is actually a book I meant actually probably two of them would be the books I mentioned earlier. And maybe it's just because it was the foundation of my understanding. I'm not going to give you Christian books. I hope that's okay. I'm going to give you <laughs> three totally secular books. And the first one's Richest Man in Babylon, just tiny little book. But in terms of understanding how money works, if you're an entrepreneur, super. And I'm probably showing these because I, I think most of us go to who's the Christian legend within business. And anyway, yeah. uh, second one would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's Robert Kiyosaki. Again, just looking at these two polar opposing views of what I'd say would be a poverty mindset and a wealth mindset. Just fantastic. And then the third one's going to be out of left field. It's a book called Nonviolent Communicators by a, a PhD. I think he's a psychologist, Dr. Rosenberg. And reading this book in terms of being able to have healthy communication, healthy conflict resolution, and even realizing how and why you communicate was so powerful to me. It was actually in marriage counseling. So I know it sounds intense, non-violent communication. It has nothing to do with violence, <laughs> but just in how we're communicating and even how we argue, it, it's had an impact on business, just being able to go into negotiations and those kind of things. So those would be my top three. Man, I recently went to the Heaven and Business Conference and it felt like it could be as much a marriage conference as it was a business conference. So I, I think that's, yeah. those, those are three great books. Number two, you can send a postcard back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that card? Good question. Okay, num number one, I would say stop being busy all the time. I, I got called out by a friend of mine who said, hey, you realize every time I ask how you're doing, you say busy. I was like, oh man. And you just, once you get busy, it's so hard to get unbusy, right? So I'd say probably just create a foundation early on. Number two, I would probably say Sabbath. Learn how to rest, learn how to take that time. I know they're actually probably pretty similar, but maybe that's the stage of life I'm in. But just, again, just make a commitment to intentional rest and replenishment of your spiritual faith, of your emotions, of your relationships, that kind of thing. And then number three, what would number three be? I'd say the third piece of advice would be, I, I guess probably in those early days when I have time, pursue learning and mentor. Go take people to lunch, learn from them, read lots of books, do lots of courses, listen to lots of podcasts, and just pursue learning, pursue wisdom. I feel like those first two are probably some of the hardest one for entrepreneurs in general to, to take, but those yeah. are really good. Question number three. How do you define success for yourself? Success for me, it has to become impact. So I, I hope I get the privilege of seeing the impact that I have. I tell people just wherever you go, just sow seeds. Like if you have a thought come up and you're like, should I say that seed? Just whether it's in a prophetic word in somebody's life and saying the hard thing and financial, whatever it is. But I, I, I want to end this life knowing that I've had impact. I'll, I'll give you one quick reference in scripture. In John 17, Jesus stands before the father and he says, father, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. And that was before the cross. And it was because it go, he goes into, I taught the 12 that you gave me, everything I had come from you. So I want to impact. Uh, I want to impact regions, but I want to impact people around me to, to look and think and sound more kingdom to continue advance his kingdom. Good answer. Question number four, when times have gotten tough, what's kept you from quitting? 
I think the belief that God has called me into the marketplace as a business owner, and I, I would say actually most of the time, it, it's actually been him speaking, whether it's speaking scriptures or prophetic words. This could be an, another podcast too, but Stan and I had a, a huge falling out a few years ago and I actually quit on Bridal uh, for two weeks. And I quit and then he wouldn't let me back for two weeks. And it ended up being this process of restoration and reconciliation of our relationship. And the thing that, that kept me in it was a word from a guy called Bob Hayslip, who called me and said, I had this dream and I saw he pre-saw the broken relationship and he saw the restoration of it. And then actually unbridled wealth, what we're doing today, he prophesied about that then. And I think standing on, on wise counsel around me and prophetic words, and honestly, just the belief that it's not supposed to be easy, but if we are faithful to steward what's in front of us, that God will. Jonathan, our final question is, what question should we have asked that we didn't? I, I don't know if I have one. I think you've asked a lot of good questions. <laughs> I'm going to say that you guys have asked all the right questions. I have one more for you. And, and this is the okay. obligatory, how can people get connected with you, find out more about you? But before, before you answer that, I want to put a caveat in there for anyone who's listening. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business owner, which most likely you are because you're listening to this podcast, Jonathan is one of the most giving people and the unbridled companies have such a heart to empower entrepreneurs. And I wish we had time to, to go into specifically, they, they have some things are able to help your business whether from a cash flow standpoint, they, they do some really cool creative things. So I'm going to encourage all of you out there, reach out to Jonathan, reach out to his company, learn more about what they're doing because they are all about empowering entrepreneurs, whether that's through creative financing or creative planning, or just Jonathan is an encouragementologist. So Jonathan, how can people find out more about Unbridled and, and get in touch with, with you and what you're doing? Sure. Yeah. I, I guess probably our website's a good place to start. So unbridledwealth.com is the, the company that I manage and run uh, or just reach out. I'm always happy to meet new people. We do a lot in the, the financial plan space at Unbridled Wealth. But yeah, like Joe said, we, we wear a lot of hats, but my email is jwield at unbridled.com. So that's J-W-I-E-L-D at unbridled.com. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for being on the podcast today, man. It was an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and leave a quick review. When you do, it helps other entrepreneurs find this content and benefit from it too. See you next week.